If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Good morning. Hallelujah. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, we've started a series a couple weeks back called His Love Never Fails. And um, we're going to be walking through these three uh, books, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And uh, I'm very excited about this today. I want to say thank you to Jeremiah Land, our young adults pastor, for receiving offering today. He, is, um, he and his wife, Maddie, are just doing a tremendous job. And if you are between the ages of 18 and 25 and are single, uh, you need to get to know Jeremiah and Maddie. They, they uh, have different activities and things that go on. I think, you get, I think they do arts and crafts and scrapbooking and <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, and they have Bible studies at their house. So uh, if you're interested in that, please see him or the prettier part of him, his wife, Maddie. <laughs> Aren't you glad he has a pretty side? And Pastor Brandon is down in Dallas today. He's preaching at our One Cause Dallas location. And uh, so Pastor Derek had to go out of town for a family funeral. And so y'all keep him and their family in your prayers. And um, what else do I need to say? This Texas rancher went to Germany. And... Um, he went to this ranch, and this German was showing him how they ranched there, and he said, well, how big is your ranch? He said, well, if you, if you go down a mile this way, you come to the end of the property of the border, and you go half a mile left, and you come to the other end, and then come back up a mile. That's basically my, my property. And he said, how about you? How big is your Texas ranch? He said, well, I get in my pickup just before sunup and start driving. And as the sun sets, I'm still on my property. The German said, yeah, I used to have a truck just like that. (laughs) Let's all say John chapter 3, verse 16 together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One of the greatest statements ever said, and it was said by God in the flesh. Jesus, these are Jesus' words teaching us about this amazing love that God so loved us that he just did not want to live life without us. That he would be willing to give up his own son so that he could have the world and that the world could have him, and that those who believed on him and received this amazing love would live forever with God. It's just truly an amazing story, and it really is good news. Have you heard good news lately? Maybe. I'm going to give you some really good news today. Christ died for your sins. He was buried in a tomb, and God raised him from the dead three days later. And all you have to do is believe on him. And he gives you everlasting life. It's an incredible thing. We've been walking through the first epistle of John. Last week we, we walked through it. And we're dealing with some, some misconceptions that have been in the church, especially when it comes to verse 9 when it says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's, made, it's been preached and taught that God's forgiveness is free and He's forgiven you of all your sins, but once you become a child of God, if you sin, if you live with unconfessed sin, then your salvation is in jeopardy. It's just such a tragedy, a tragic 
interpretation of the scriptures. When, when it's so much better than that. Your life is, your relationship with God is so much more secure than whether you confess your sins or not. That is talking about what John was dealing with was the Gnostics of his day. Gnosticism is those, Gnosticism is those who believe that they are already at the zenith, if you will, of spiritual enlightenment. And so sin and Christ coming in the flesh, those are all really illusions and not real. And so John was having to deal with that, and he opens up the, the chapter by saying, I saw him with my eyes, I heard his voice, I handled him with my hands. He's really, there's no illusion about Jesus Christ. He is God come in the flesh. And then he began to deal with the misconception of the illusion of sin. He said, if we say we have no sin, we're lying. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, and that word confess is the word homo legeo, H-O-M-O-L-O-G-E-O, homo legeo, and it means to agree with. If we agree with God concerning our sin, that is, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when we understand that, when we agree with that, then we also understand I need a Savior then. If I'm lost in my sin, then I need help. And we're powerless to do that in and of ourselves because we're born into sin. But the acknowledgement of our sin reaps the benefit of God's forgiveness into our life and receiving His Son as our Savior. The only way to receive eternal life is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's beautiful. And so John just slowly works through, builds the case for basically the love of God for us. And that our need for him. And then in chapter 2, it opens up with this. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Now that is an amazing statement in and of itself. All right? Because what this teaches us about our stance or our born-again experience, the fact that we have become a new creation in Christ, it teaches us that we actually have the ability not to sin. Thank you for your enthusiasm on that. I thought I'd get a bunch of amens there, but, but that, see, that's, that's, just, that's just the problem. It's hard for us to believe that. It's difficult for us to believe that we could actually live our lives and not sin. <laughs> I'm not saying it's probable. I'm just saying it's possible. All right? I write these things to you so that you may not sin because you have a choice in the matter. Hey, Jesus had a choice in the matter. The scripture says that he was tempted at all points like we are, yet without sin. He could have sinned, but the beautiful thing is he didn't. And see, that's, what's, that's how you need to know. You need to know what has happened to you as a believer, that you became like him. There was an exchange that took place at that cross. He became sin and you became righteousness. All right? You got his righteousness. That means you became like Jesus. God sowed his son as a seed, and that seed, the seed always produces after its kind. That's the law of God. That is, he reaped many sons, all right, which means we are all like Jesus. In the spirit, we're just like him. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Are you catching this? So if you'll embrace that truth, you'll embrace who you really are. And stop identifying with your weaknesses and stop identifying with your failures and stop identifying with your, with your sin. Stop identifying with those things because those, those are no longer who you are. You are righteous now. You are a child of God. You are someone. That means if Jesus could do it, so can you. 
And I'm, I'm help, I want to help you today to elevate your thinking above what you already do. We all need to continue to go up in our thinking, don't we? God has given us such a great salvation, and he's brought us up into this fellowship. And this fellowship, one of the words or definitions of fellowship means common interests and common desires. That God has elevated us all the way up to the place that we can think like him, we can desire the same things he does, we can have the very same interests as God does himself. All right, that's why I want to preach to you and free you up so much that you will just go do what you want to do. Because when you're in Him, your desire will be the right desire. You don't have to worry about, well, I don't know if this is of God. Hey, hey, believe it, the gospel. Believe that you really did change. Believe that, that you really are born again, and now you have His very nature in you, and then you act according to that nature. Take on that world's mentality. I kind of like that mentality. I can't help it. I was born this way. I can't help but make the right decisions. I was born this way. I can't help but think right and act right and talk right. I can't help but love other people. I was born this way. I got his nature. So therefore, I act like him now. Old things are gone. New things have come. But see, it takes us believing this. And stop striving in the flesh. Because the truth is, you, it's, it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around it. That's why we have faith. Because faith exceeds this finite mind. Faith reaches up and grabs a hold of the truths of God and says, yes, I'll take them. All right? These things I've written to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, then this is such good news. So in case you do fail, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. That is, we have one who speaks on our behalf. Let me tell you something. Concerning sin in your life, let Jesus do the talking. Let him do the talking for you. The scripture says, I mean, the Greek word for advocate is the word parakletos, and it means called to one's side, especially called to one's aid, so that when you sin, if, I should say, you sin, Jesus comes to your aid and speaks on your behalf. He pleads your, he pleads your cause. This is beautiful. He's a, he intercedes for you. So in other words, what this is really saying, thanks to Jesus, God is on our side. <laughs> thanks to Him. Thanks to Him speaking for us. Whether we are not sinning or whether we are sinning, Jesus is speaking for us. Wow. And watch, verse 2, and He Himself is the propitiation. I like this word. Can everybody give it a shot? You're a good class. He is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is, uh, this word means appeasement or the state of peace, to bring to a state of peace. All right? Paul said it like this in Ephesians 2. He himself is our peace. It's a beautiful word, the word peace. It means, that the, the Greek word is erene. There are a couple of words for peace. Anybody ever heard the word shalom? That's a, that's a great word, for it, but erene is better than shalom. Irene means the end or the exemption from the rage and havoc of war, a state of national tranquility. That's what Jesus is. He is the state of national tranquility. It's beautiful. So the war between heaven and earth, because of sin, has now been abolished. It's over. Now there's peace between. You see why? Because of this one named Jesus. And because of him, God is on our side. You have to understand that it's hard for us to really 
grasp the magnitude of this salvation and of this love, but God was pointing to Jesus. All the way throughout the Old Testament, you see Jesus concealed, but in the New Testament, it's Jesus revealed. But there are types and shadows that point to him, one being a lamb. There was a lamb that was, that was given up for Isaac. You remember the story of a, uh, what's his name? Abraham taking Isaac up on the mountain because God told him to sacrifice him up on the mountain. And so Isaac said, there's the wood, there's the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham prophesied about Jesus as well as about the, the lamb that would be there in just a little bit. He said, God will provide for himself the lamb. See, there was no way a man could could get the right lamb, a man could provide a lamb that would actually fix the sin problem. Man's lambs could only cover up their mistakes, but it couldn't remove that sin. But the lamb God would provide, now that's a different lamb. And he said, God will provide for himself the lamb. And sure enough, as as Abraham was about to slay his son with that knife, the angel of the Lord called out from heaven and said, Don't lay a hand on your son. I now know you will, hold, will, no, you will not withhold anything from me, being that you wouldn't even hold your only son. And then Abraham turned around and looked, and sure enough, there was a ram caught in the thicket, and they offered up that instead of Isaac. So the first picture we see concerning a lamb uh, being a shadow or a type of Christ was right there that one took the place of another. This lamb took the place of a man, a lamb for a man. Everybody say it, a lamb for a man. But then as time went on, Uh, 400-something years later, the Israelites had been in bondage to Egypt and had been their slaves for 400 years. And now God has called Moses to bring them out of Egypt and take them into a land that he had promised them. On the very last night they were there, God showed uh, his strength and his power through many signs and wonders to Pharaoh and uh, through all those plagues and things like that. But the the very last night they were there, the worst plague happened and it was the plague of death where the death angel would move across the countryside of Egypt and slay every firstborn child and every firstborn animal of every house. And so he said, he told Moses, have each household slay a lamb and take the blood for that lamb and place it on the lintel of the door and the doorposts. All right, you see the door frame, the lintel and the doorposts. You see the cross there. The lintel and the doorpost and that blood, he said, when I see that blood, I'll pass over you. All right? So that blood then was a supply for a household, a house. We see through Abraham there was a lamb for a man, and now on Passover night there was a lamb for a house. Everyone in that house was protected because of that blood sign on the doorpost. And then as he drew them out of Egypt, and they were out in the wilderness, and God gave Moses specific instructions concerning the tabernacle, building their house of worship, and the place where they could offer up these continual sacrifices of these animals just to cover the sins of man, just so God wouldn't kill them. Is basically what it was. That's what that blood was there for. And, and so a lamb was slain in the morning and a lamb was slain at twilight every day. Besides all the other sin offerings that took place, this was an all-day sacrifice. Every day of the week, God required it of man. Now, at this place, when the law came, they became a nation of themselves, and they were governed by God and His laws. And now, this lamb that has been slain continually daily was now a lamb for a nation, a lamb for a man, a lamb for a house, and now a lamb for a nation. And then in John chapter 1, 
John the Baptist is standing on the banks of the River Jordan, and Jesus breaks the horizon, and he turns and looks at the people that are around him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Now, if they had really thought about what John was saying, they probably would have been deeply offended because he basically canceled out Judaism with that one phrase. In other words, all the sacrifices that you're doing with him no longer required because of him. This lamb is not coming to cover sins. He's coming to take them away. Remove the sins. Ooh, hallelujah. Now turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now what that says is, if you, if you just look at those words, griefs and sorrows, you can really miss the power of, of what they mean. Surely he has borne, or he has taken upon himself our griefs. It's not just about sadness. He took our, I want to give you all the words here for the word griefs in the Hebrew, malady, anxiety calamity, sickness, and disease. Wow. Surely Jesus bore your calamity. That's why God's not bringing calamity in the earth to try to teach people or make them do this or that. Otherwise, he's unjust. Jesus took our calamity. He bore our calamity. He bore our sickness and disease. Let me just say this too. Believer, child of God, you don't have a right to sickness and disease. You only have a right to health and wholeness. All right? He bore it so that you don't have to bear it. Amen. That's really good news. So you only have a right to get what Jesus came to give you. And carried our sorrows. This word literally means pain. Physical pain or mental pain. He carried our pains. Not only did he carry our sickness and disease, but he also carried our pain. Some of you might be dealing with chronic pain. You don't have a right to that. Receive healing. Hey, Jesus, just don't accept that. No, no, no. Jesus bore that. Why would I? I don't have a right to bear that. He did that for me. I, I take the exchange. Right? Here we go. Yet we esteemed him or we came to the conclusion accounted that he was stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And what he's saying, in the Jewish mind, we are saying that God is judging him. Because uh, Galatians chapter 3, Paul teaches us about the law that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. They're there because they brought it on themselves. All right? So that's what the, he's saying. When we saw him hanging on that, on that cross, we, we concluded that God had done that to him. And they were right. But they didn't know why he had done that to them, to Jesus. They didn't understand why God struck him. They didn't understand why God uh, smited him. They didn't understand what that was. They knew the what, but they just didn't know the why. But watch, look what happened. Here's the why. Isaiah tells us the why. But he was wounded for not his transgressions, not because he did something. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. This is why God did this. See, I, it's incredible enough for me uh, to even try to grasp, and all of us, to try to grasp the love of God that he would give up his son for us. And I've talked to you about the limit of my love, and I think that's, you probably share the same love limit. That if, 
others' lives could be saved if you were to choose that your child die, you wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do it. I don't care if all of you depended on it. I'm not giving my, my son for any of you. I love you. I do love you. And I would expect, I mean, I, if it was between me and your child, I would expect to go to heaven. I just don't believe you're going to pick me over your child. Am I in the right church? All right. But God did. God picked us over Jesus. So love the world that he gave Jesus. He sent him to us. But that's not the end of the story. God not only sent him to us, God's the one who struck his son. He punished Jesus. He didn't just send him to He punished him. In other words, he blamed him for your wrong. He blamed him for my wrong. God just decided to blame his son. Now that's way out of the sphere of my thinking and understanding. That he did that. He was, one of our, he was chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Look at verse 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. In other words, he said, you know, we're not looking for God. Why? Because when Adam sinned, we were all born into sin, and the nature of that sin is to not go after God, not pursue God, not want anything to do with him. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says, for God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He wasn't waiting for us to turn to see religion. Uh, the thing that separates Christianity from all other religions of the world, there are lots of things, but one thing is, is that God pursues you. All other religions are men chasing God or pursuing God, but Christianity is completely different. God's looking for us. God pursued us. God went after us. That's what Jesus said. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. We've all gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We all went about doing our own business, sinning, just living life however we want to, and God decided to blame Jesus for all of that. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That word bruise means crushed. It pleased God to crush his own son. It pleased him to lay on him the iniquity of all of us, all of our sins. He has put him to grief. That is, he made Jesus sickness and disease and calamity and pain. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I, I read this verse, and I think, God, it pleased you to bruise your son? It pleased you? Why did it please God? What is he, some maniac that gets pleasure and others' pain? No, it's not. It's greater than that. It's greater than that. It pleased him to bruise him. It pleased him to watch his son go through what he did. Why? We can just get a, a small glimpse of the anguish that Jesus was enduring while he was on that cross. I mean, we just get a little glimpse by, by hearing the things that he said. And one of the things he said was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? This was no euphemistic phrase. Jesus was totally forsaken by God. Now, you might have felt like in your life, 
and maybe even said the words, Lord, where are you? I don't sense you. I don't feel <laughs> You've never been forsaken by God. Jesus was forsaken. Now, it, 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 he never even questioned. Never questioned the Roman soldiers, why are you beating me like this? Why are you crucifying me? Why are you mocking me? Why do you hate me? He never, he never, because Jesus understood humanity, that we were broken. We were in sin. This is the result of sinners. It's what we do. We hate. He said, hey, he told his disciples, don't be, don't be, don't marvel if the world hates you. It hated, it hates me. It hated me. And we see the culmination of their hatred at that cross. He didn't, say, he, he didn't act surprised about any of that. But when God turned his back on Jesus, how does he prepare for that? How does he who was God, now God in the flesh, always known God, always been one with his Father, as he said, all of a sudden now he is completely separated from this source of fellowship, from this God of his, from his Father. He, he's never known that. There's no way that he, like I said, there's no way he can rehearse for something like that. So he cries out, my God, my, I mean, everybody else has left me, I get it, but why have you forsaken me? And God had to. If Jesus was going to become, and he did, the sin center of the universe. But when that happened, God laid on him all of our sin, all of our iniquity, all of it on him, all of our sickness, all of our disease, all of it, all of it right there, the curse on him. And Jesus is in the, the, the deepest darkness, blackness of hopelessness. There's no, there, there's, there, there's no more, there's no worse place you can be than that right there. Because when God forsakes you, it's over. It's over. And Jesus had no, no reason at that moment, to hope. Hmm. Had nothing to look forward to with the rejection of man and now of God. So as he is falling headlong into the abyss to be eternally separated from God, Jesus utters these words that they astound me to this day. It's the greatest statement of faith any man has ever said. Joshua said a pretty great statement when he said, Son, stand still. Remember the whole universe stopped so he could finish his battle? That's a pretty great statement of faith. Abraham had some great statements of faith when he talked to God about Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, Shouldn't the judge of the earth do right? You're going to kill the righteous with the wicked? But Jesus, like his father Abraham, could only do one thing at this moment when he's faced with no hope. That is to believe. Abraham, the scripture says, contrary to hope, in hope believed. He had no reason to hope. God said, you're going to have a child. He says, and he said, uh, you know, I'm 100 years old, right? And my wife is 90. It's kind of late. Don't you think, God, start our family now? Stuff don't work like it used to work. 
So uh, the scripture says, contrary to hope, with no natural reason to hope for what God had said, the scripture says, Abraham in hope believed. In hope believed. When all the odds were stacked against him, and now you talk about odds being stacked against you. God forsaken Jesus, he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands. All he has at this point is faith. Into your hands I commit my spirit. No reason to hope, but yet he believed. He said, I, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. In other words, he's saying, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. But to be condemned for the world. The gospel of Matthew opens up. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, all he could, or Jesus, all he could do at that moment was to look up and believe like his father Abraham did, to believe that he was committing himself to the hands of his father. Wow. Why does it say, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him? The truth is, God was through with the old sacrifices. He was through. They had become nothing but a stench to his nostrils. They had become nothing but just men's. Actually, in Isaiah, he said, this has become idolatry was through with the blood of bulls and goats and the blood of sheep. He was through with it. He was done with it because it couldn't fix the problem. It was simply a bandage on the womb. It, it, it just really couldn't fix it. It was just a covering. It was just a covering. It was just a covering. And this happened for something like 1,400 years. Can you imagine the tens, upon, the tens of thousands upon thousands of animals that died in the process, that shed blood for man's sins? Morning until night, but this system was broken and it could not cure the problem. But Jesus' blood, not only it could, but it would do both for God and for man what was necessary for reconciliation, what was necessary for salvation, what was necessary for the eradication of our sin. He took the sins away. Do you believe that? His blood is more than just atoning blood. It's more than just covering blood. It is the removal of sin. Hallelujah. It pleased God to bruise his only son because in so doing, he would have many sons. That's why, because God saw the big picture. God, told, God said, it's not good that man should be alone. It's not good that man should be alone. And so what did he do with the first Adam? He put him in a deep sleep. And Adam woke up, married he woke up, married, God opened his side, and from that side pulled the rib out, and he fashioned a bride for Adam. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And when that last Adam fell asleep on that cross, it was good. It was not good that God was alone. So then he put this last Adam to sleep. He laid on him the iniquity of us all so that he would never be alone. And from his side... A spear was op opened up the, the side of Jesus Christ, and the Scripture says that blood and water came out, those two things that are present at birth. And the bride of Christ, the church of the living God, was born at that moment. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He became a curse, and we became blessed. 
He became wounded. We became healed. He became the Son of Man. We became sons of God. He became poor, and we became rich. I want to look at one last scripture, and I'll let you go. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Everybody okay out there? Hebrews 10, verse 11, and every priest stands. I want you to see the contrast between Jesus' sacrifice and the sacrifice of animals. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Verse 12, but this man, everybody say, but this man. After he had offered one, not, not many, not repeated, one sacrifice for sins for how long? Forever, forever, say it, come on, get it, forever. He made one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And what that did for us helped us all understand that as long as the priests were doing the works, sacrificing these, they had to stand daily. Their job never ended, but he sat down signifying, it's done. I finished what I came to do. I finish the work. I have removed the sins of the world. Therefore, I can sit down. Amen. It's done. But this man, verse 13, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's a, power, that's a mouthful already. That's one of my favorite verses in, in the Bible, though, because it helps me really understand how God sees me. He sees me perfect. He sees you perfect because he sees Jesus. Because when God sowed the seed of his son, the seed has to produce after its own kind, then all he could do was reap after his kind. He sowed his son, and he reaped many sons. Jesus is no longer the only begotten son of God. He was, but now he's the firstborn among many brethren. Hallelujah. He has perfected, has done, past tense, has perfected. How long? How long? How long is his salvation? How long is it? If sin's eradicated forever, then we're saved forever. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, that's the life we're living right now. Sanctified means to consecrate yourself to God and to separate yourself from this world system. That is a process of one step at a time, walking by faith, changing how we think. And God is patient with us in that process. Why? Because he already sees you as perfect. And so he believes in that work, that he who began that work and you will be faithful to complete it. And he teaches us in Philippians to work out our own salvation. Not work for our salvation, work it out. That which has happened on the inside, live it. Live that way. But you can't live it if you don't believe it. You can't. We walk by faith. He has perfect. I want you to turn to someone, tell, look them right in the eyes right now. Say, you are perfect. Turn to somebody else and tell them, I am perfect. Why are you giggling? Why are you laughing? Especially husbands and wives are laughing. Yeah, Pastor Eric, <clears throat> you, you don't live where I live. I know. But, but you're more than what we're seeing right here. 
and more than this fleshly body. This body is simply housing who you really are. And what Jesus did for you was made you perfect. Your spirit made you perfect forever as you are being sanctified, as you are growing in Christ, as you're increasing in God, and as you're making your mistakes, and as you're failing, and as you're getting back up and going again, He has perfected forever. Now, we're going to get into that a little bit. First John chapter 3, so rip, snorting, awesome. I cannot wait to get into it. But we got through two verses of this chapter. That's okay. We got 52 Sundays in a year. Let's we'll pick it up next week. His love never fails. Say it. His love never fails. He, what God came up with through Jesus was a fail-safe system. His love never fails. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, thank you for this gathering today. Thank you for all of these who are here in this building together. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., or 1 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Please visit onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Cause Church. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.